0: You're listening to Sober Onions Podcast, where we peel back the layers of sobriety, featuring your host, Crystal Morrell. Hey, everyone, it's Crystal. This is Sober Onions. This is episode five. And I have here one of my very, very special friends, Anya. Say hi, Anya. Hi Anya! <laughs> Everyone <laughs> always does that. I should have come in with the new intro. Yes. Anya and I are doing a Zoom interview. Anya is in Michigan, correct?
1: That what is part,
0: correct. What part of Michigan are you in?
1: The tip of the Mitt, baby. I'm all the way up here at the top, uh, almost to the Mackinac Bridge. Little town called Petoskey. Petoskey. Beautiful lake on right on Lake Michigan.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, I know Anya because we worked at a restaurant together as waitresses. Uh, It was a breakfast, uh, a Christian restaurant, a little breakfast place uh, that was probably the busiest restaurant I've ever worked at in my entire life. And uh, we hustled every weekend together uh, we were in each other's space probably more often than anybody's ever been in. So, uh, we learned how to, uh, synchronize our bodies in order to get, uh, everybody served. So that's how we know each other. And I knew you too, because I knew that you were, um, obviously in recovery and you knew me as a drinker. So, which is kind of funny because I was a big drinker and, um, Basically, you also introduced me to Celebrate Recovery because I went to one of your um, meetings when... You were right before you were about to move from Florida. So, um, with that, I'm going to ask you a couple questions, and um, okay. I'm so excited you're here, and
1: thank you so much. Well, uh, I'm excited to be here, and I just want to thank you for inviting me because I am thrilled, delighted, blessed, inspired, motivated, encouraged that you are now doing this and offering this as a resource, but also that you're doing it for accountability purposes and you're doing it because you have gotten clean and sober yourself. And I'm just really proud of you, Crystal. Thank thanks you. For, thanks for having me.
0: Has not been easy. That's for sure. I, uh, especially now that I'm going through recovery, you start remembering all kinds of stuff and you're like, Oh my God, I was a, I was a piece of work. <laughs> So how long have you been in recovery and what, what motivated you to get sober and what was your turning point and how old were you a little personal? I know, but just so that the listeners can kind of identify with you and who you are.
1: Sure. Sure. Well, um, I was 11 years old when I started using substances and I started with, you know, uh, Mary Jane, marijuana, weed, chronic, whatever you want to call it, herb. Um, I started um, smoking weed when I was 11, began experimenting and utilizing all kinds of other substances all throughout my school and high school career and became an opiate, full-on opiate addict uh, by the time I was 21. I got clean and sober um my sobriety date is april sixth I'm sorry April twelfth two thousand six. I always get that um the six and the twelve. I'm not dyslexic, but sometimes you would think I am. It is <laughs> April twelfth four twelve o six is my sobriety date, and that was fifteen years ago and I got sober in your neck of the woods down there in Southern California in San Diego, so um my turning point, my rock bottom, the caveat the catap- that catapulted me into recovery was I was on the run from the law and uh, was trying to escape uh, consequences to returning to active use. I was eight and a half months pregnant and I was on a Greyhound bus running from myself. Didn't know that at the time, but Everywhere I went, there I was. Geographical cure never worked for me, by the way, and it won't work for you either. For those of you listening, because you can't move, you go, you can't move you away from it.
0: <laughs> I, I know that's kind of what happened to me. I moved from Florida to California and went into rehab. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's
1: exactly what happened. If you look on the map, I went from, uh, on a Greyhound bus at eight. Well, at that point I was eight months pregnant. I had gotten, I was in and out of jail and I was in and out of, um, legal consequences to my actions. Um, of course know that I was a paralegal and I had a home and a family and a, you know, I had, I, I, I mean, I didn't start off that way. It's just, that's where my disease took me, um, was to a, criminal, um, living on the street, prostituting herself to afford her habit and in and out of the jail systems, like a revolving door. And I got sentenced to the department of corrections rehabilitative program. It was run by the DOC. They remanded me to custody until they had a bed available for me. Uh, by the time they had the bed available for me, they realized that I was in fact pregnant because I must've gotten pregnant right before I went to jail. Cause I didn't even know I was pregnant Therefore, I didn't have any medical care. So they sent me to the Department of Corrections Rehab. I was actually embracing the idea of getting clean and sober because I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. But because of my condition, they were not um, equipped to uh, have a woman of my experience, I'll say, when actually it was my age because I was 40 by the time I really um, opened and uh, moved into this chapter of recovery, so when they released me i didn 't have anywhere to go because I had been living on the streets and running this street life for the last three years. My husband had divorced me, he had taken the kids i'd lost my home my self respect my dignity uh everything literally quite literally everything, and so I did what any good little addict alcoholic would do is um I ran. You know, that's all I knew how to do. I didn't have any coping skills. I didn't know. um, I knew I wanted to change. I just didn't know how to do it. And um, so I got on a Greyhound bus and I ran because I knew that my parole officer was going to want to have me come in once the Department of Corrections rehab program had released me because I was you know, um, pregnant and had not had any medical care and they were not equipped to handle that because they were a six month long program. And so I knew that, you know, I was going to have to go report and, um, I had a taste of freedom after being locked up for so long and I used, so I knew they were going to, uh, drug test me. I knew I would fail. And so I got on a Greyhound bus and I ended up in San Diego, California. And, um, yeah, so one day, I don't know, should I keep going?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So So you were using when you were pregnant too, like you didn't know you were pregnant, you were 40, you were pregnant and you were using.
1: Well, and <laughs> well, actually, what happened was um, I got arrested. I was uh, incarcerated. You know, when you first go to jail, they, they did a urine screen. I d- didn't test positive for being pregnant. So I was in there with general population. However, about six months into my incarceration stint uh, you know, I started developing a belly and people started saying, man, you look like you're pregnant. And I'm like, no, it's a commissary baby. You know, everybody that's been, anybody's listening. If you've been in jail for any period of time, you know, that, you know, um, you just get fat when you're in jail. So I'm like, no, it's, I'm not pregnant. I've just got a commissary baby. But then I started feeling like I was having movement and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm having psychosomatic symptoms. Like I actually feel like I'm having you know, like there's something in there. Uh, I thought I was going crazy until finally I, I did go to the infirmary and I did find out I was pregnant. So, um, thanks be to God. I was incarcerated for the majority, I would say probably seven and a half months of my pregnancy. I was incarcerated, which of course, uh, was the, you know, most crucial times of the baby's development. Although, you know, I, I am embarrassed to admit, but, uh, you know, I will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. That's what the nine step promises have taught me because I do see how my experience can benefit others. So I will just say that yes, I did get out at seven and a half months, eight months, somewhere around there when I was pregnant, and I did return to using. Um, And that is what I did for a whole month until I had a moment of clarity and decided to pick up the phone and um, called uh, an adoption facility and adoption agency in San Diego. And quite honestly, that is a result of an experience that I had in the jail cell. I might as well just go on and tell you the whole story. And that is I was doing the purpose-driven life. It's a book written by Rick Warren changed my life forever. Um, I was on day 30, you know, cause everybody finds God when they're in jail. The problem is most people leave him there. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. so, um, <laughs> let's just face it. Um, you know, I uh, was finding God in the jail cell and we were all doing this purpose-driven life. And for those of you aren't familiar with it, you read one chapter a day, that's it. You don't go ahead. And there's a point to ponder a scripture to remember. And so all of us were doing this little Bible study, like, well, it wasn't even a Bible study. It was just a study purpose-driven life. And day 33 was, you know, you were created for service. So I had a profound experience in the jail cell, Um, the day that I found out I was pregnant and I freaked out and decided that I was going crazy because I started hearing a voice. And I believe to this very day that I audibly heard the voice of God call me crazy if you will, but I will never deny him. He spoke to me like clear as a bow, like, yeah, you are pregnant and you're going to have a baby and your act of service is going to be to place this baby for adoption. And I'm like, oh no, I am not doing that. I have already lost my other three children. There's no way I'm going to give this baby away. And God was very clear to me. Like, you know, I gave my one and only son so that you could be free. You don't have to live this way anymore. You just need to surrender to my way of life and let my power come in and um, empower you to live a life without drugs and alcohol. And I You know, I'd like to say as a result of that, like I never picked up again, Uh, but that's not the case because when I got sentenced to the department of corrections rehab and they released me, I went right back to what was familiar. And that was, you know, smoking, drinking and doing drugs. And that's when I got on a Greyhound bus and tried to escape. And, um, God chased me all the way to the other end of the United States. And he found me there and, um, I had that moment of clarity where I remembered him speaking to me that day in the jail cell. So I picked up the phone and I called an adoption agency and she ended up being, um, a born again, Christ follower that was from my home church in Florida. And it was like, Oh, you know, the angels were singing because that was just way too coincidental to be anything other than the hand of God. And, uh, she came and picked me up out of, a crack house, uh, dilated, drinking, everything else, house, and um, she put me in a faith-based recovery residence until I um, placed the baby for adoption, which I did, and that is what ushered me into recovery because... I could not have done it. And step one tells us that, you know, you have to admit that you're powerless over your substances and that your life has become unmanageable. Well, for so long, I could say I was powerless, but never did I think my life was unmanageable. Come on, I still got a job. I'm still able oh, to walk yeah. and talk. you know, right? Oh
0: yeah, I'm totally, I'm actually reading this book right now. It's called The Uncommon Drunk. And it's about a doctor who's a functional alcoholic. And he literally is like, diagnosing, doing surgery. And he's (laughs) telling everyone like, no one knows I'm this complete alcoholic, you know? And that's how I was. I mean, there was people that knew, and then there was people who had no clue you know, like I had clients that when I went to rehab, they were like, what? Like you went to rehab? I don't understand. Like I've, I've known you for 12 years. I've, you know, been paying your bills basically, you know, and, right. and then other people were just like, Oh my God, thank God. She's finally, you know, finally gonna yeah. like, go get help, you know? yeah. But I never thought I had a problem. I always thought I would, I talk to my sponsor about that all the time. Like I would do these personal challenges. Like I am going to not drink for three days to prove that I, that I, I control this whole thing. And then I would, and and then I would fail. And then in my mind, I would say, well, nobody knows I was challenging myself. So who cares?
1: (laughs) So, yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, admitting that at that unmanageability piece, that was humbling. But when I was on a Greyhound bus running from the law, a wanted felon, escaped felon, had, you know, my husband had divorced me, had lost my children. I'm pregnant. I have no idea what I'm doing, where I'm going. I finally submitted to the fact that you know what maybe this is what they were talking about my life is unmanageable I mean you know (laughs) it takes what it takes and that's what it took for me but I did come to believe that there was a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity because I had an encounter with that power in that jail cell I mean it's a it's a It it is something I will never ever forget. And you know, when God spoke to me and told me, you know what, you are going to have a baby, and you're going to place this baby for adoption. And you're right, you can't do it, but I can do it through you. That's why that verse is my favorite verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's who my higher power is today. And I I knew that with His power, I would be able to do such a thing like place my baby for adoption. And that is what absolutely, uh, you know, ushered me into this lifestyle of recovery. Now I would like to say um, that as a result of placing that baby for adoption, I quit. But as the day I walked out of that hospital in San Diego with no baby, I didn't have any tools yet. I, you know, I had just made the decision, but I didn't have any tools. I didn't have any coping skills and I hadn't been to treatment or i had been to 16 treatment facilities, by the way, over the course of my 28 year addiction, 16, some of them were inpatient residential. Some of them were outpatient. Some of them were faith-based. Some of them were secular. I mean, I've covered the whole gamut when it comes to that. I mean, I could teach recovery. I just couldn't live it, you know? <laughs> I could tell you how to do it. I just couldn't do it. And you know, this is what, when you asked me, what did it take? I mean, this is what it took when I walked out of that hospital and I didn't have a baby and I didn't have any coping skills and I didn't have any family and I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any community connection. I didn't have, I didn't have anything. And for me, that was exactly where God had to get me before I finally looked up. Cause there was nowhere else to look. I had attempted suicide a couple of different times. And at this juncture, I felt like I wanted to commit suicide because I'm like, okay, God, you wanted me to, that was my, my service. You know, I placed my baby for adoption. That's what you wanted me to do. Now, what, what's my purpose now? You know, I have no purpose now. I just wanted to end my life, but you know what? God knew that um, he was going to use my story to help other people. And of course, that's what I do today, because I don't like to always talk about what it was like. The message of hope and my experience and strength is what I share today to let people know that no matter how far down the scale you've gone, because for me, that was pretty far. I mean, I'm a wanted felon. I've just placed my baby for adoption. I've lost all my other three children. I have no self-respect, no dignity. You know, I have nothing. And yet here I am today, Um, I'm the executive director for Community Recovery Alliance here in Northern Michigan. I mean, you would never in a million years, people here can't believe it. When I tell them my story, they don't even believe me. Um, (laughs) But that's what surrendering to a higher power, which I choose to call Jesus Christ. You know, that's my higher power is what has empowered me and enabled me to work the steps, you know, to get a sponsor. I hated my sponsor. My first sponsor was um, she was a big book Nazi and that's exactly what I needed. I needed somebody to come alongside me and beat me over the head and say, look, your way has not worked for right. how many years? And so I started, I became humble. i mean, you know, humility was huge for me. And um, I was very humble when uh, I uh, left the hospital. Um, I did check myself in. I went to a place called community resource and self-help crash also known as the last house on the block. And, uh, they were not, uh, it was not, a. Uh, you know, I hope somebody listening has been there. That place saved my life. Um, I needed, I didn't need somebody to come alongside and. Oh, they're there. Oh, poor girl. Oh, you just had a baby. Oh, I'm so sorry. I needed somebody to say, so you think you're unique? You know, you think we should, you know, I wanted everybody to tail to me and feel sorry for me, but that was the last thing I needed. I needed tough love. And that's what I got in the treatment facility. And I learned to start taking a look at myself and I learned to start taking responsibility for my own actions. You know, I love to point the finger even today, you know, I do a (laughs) test up, you know, daily, you know, when I'm wrong, promptly admit it because it keeps me humble and it keeps me looking at my own inventory Instead of taking your inventory and his inventory, oh, let me go take her inventory when I just try to stay in my own sandbox, you know, play my own sandbox, keep my own side of the street clean today. And when I do that, I am a much more spiritually fit vessel to um, help others in recovery, which, of course, is my passion. Which is
0: amazing. So like, you have this incredible story. And now like your full time job is recovery and helping people, which is amazing. You've always inspired me. I, when I first met you, though, I I, all I could think of was, how does she stay sober? Like, because I was so wrapped up in alcohol that I was just like, it was just not something I could even imagine, you know. And so for me, it was it. I couldn't imagine a lifestyle, even though every time we had an event or party, you were always the funnest one there, which is is funny because, (laughs) sober. (laughs) yeah, and you're the only one sober. So, and you were the funnest one there. So it's just kind of crazy. So with that, I mean, I'm so honored that you joined me today and just kind of like closing out since I'm sober and you, and like, you've known me on both sides of the spectrum. what are you, what is your advice for someone like me, especially, you know, in this day and age where, I mean, alcohol for me is it's everywhere. I mean, it's, it's on, it's on trucks, it's in the grocery stores, it's everything surrounds alcohol. We eat alcohol, we do anything alcohol and it's so much more acceptable now. Like we were talking earlier about how in our society, um, you know, the millennials and, you know, this new age of the 20th century where alcohol is just so much more accepted. Um, You know, people can just be hanging out with a white claw or day drinking. Yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, it's just much more acceptable. And so for me or for someone who's maybe thinking about getting sober or maybe struggling with coming back from a relapse or, Uh, brand new, or maybe even they're in a rut. I've, I've been to a lot of meetings lately and there's people who had 12, 15, 18 years of sobriety. And when COVID hit, they relapsed. And so there's a lot of that. What do you feel like with your experience would be encouragement for
1: someone like me? Well, first of all, it's a one day at a time. I know it sounds cliche, but when you were saying, you know, you used to see me and you'd be like, how does she stay sober? I do it one day at a time. And you know, when that's too overwhelming and too daunting, like, Oh my God, there's 24 flipping hours in this day. I can't even do one day at a time. Then let's just break it down to one hour at a time. Okay. Sincerely. Cause in the beginning, that's how I used to do it. I would look at the clock. And I would wait for the big hand to get to the 12. And then I would tell myself, that's it. I'm going to go. I'm leaving. I'm booking. I'm out. I'm going to use whatever. One hour at a time. And the other thing is that, you know, this is a we program. This is we admitted we were powerless. We came to believe. We, you know, um, made a decision to turn our life. We humbly admitted. It's a we program. So getting connected to a recovery community, that is vital, Um, you know, whether it be in person, online, pick up the phone. And I don't mean text, pick up the phone and call somebody, let somebody know what you're doing. I have all of my sponsees today that I work with. I have them do an exercise where I make them pick up the phone and reach out to people, three people a day on your list. Even if you, especially if you don't know them, because if you can't pick up the phone and call somebody, which is very difficult to do but you can just pick up the phone and say, Hey, my sponsor is making me do the stupid exercise where I got to call somebody. And so I'm just, you were you were one of my calls today, because the more comfortable you get with reaching out when everything is going well, then you will be more apt to reach out when everything is not going well. But if you are isolating, which we do, and we're in our disease of addiction, alcoholism, we isolate, we don't let anybody know what's going on with us. We don't talk about secrets, keep us sick. So Getting plugged into a recovery community, practicing, reaching out, um, going to meetings, getting a sponsor, but basically chopping it down to one day at a time. If you're not a praying person, I always ask, just try it. You know, just try it. Humble yourself, get on your knees. If you're having a trouble with God, look at him as good orderly direction, G-O-D. Start somewhere, but start, you know, and Just let him reveal himself to you in whatever way he reveals himself to you. You know, I don't go back to our old legalistic ways. I believe God reveals himself to everyone differently. And, you know, because we're all individually unique and he knows that. So if you're struggling with the whole God concept or the higher power concept, then just start with good orderly direction, G-O-D, good orderly direction. Maybe just try having a dialogue with some good orderly direction and asking for help, you know, asking for help, taking it one day at a time, getting recovery community plugged in, going to meetings and, you know, pour this into your mind. Listen to Crystal's podcast, you know, get online meetings, listen to, you know, YouTube's step one stuff, you know, just pour all of the, as much recovery into you as you can. Cause you know, you're fighting against the world. Like you said, you're out there, there's alcohol everywhere. So if you're only going to one meeting a day and that's one little hour of your 24, what are you doing with the other 23 hours? You know, yeah. feed your recovery. Just like you feed your body food three times a day. Some of us more than that. I mean, <laughs> you <know? laughs> feed yes. your recovery. all
0: right that's awesome thank you I like the feed your recovery that's really good and I definitely have to do that for sure I also am definitely eating a lot more than I used to (laughs) but you you know my my mom said the other day I was like oh my gosh I'm getting all this weird crazy skin stuff because I'm eating so much chocolate and she said yeah but crystal eating eating chocolate doesn't hurt anybody (laughs) you know because I've hurt a lot of people with my disease so um well so we With that, I'm going to end, but how could you are in Michigan, you have a website or your, your, your mission program or your recovery program, anybody in your area, if they wanted to reach out, how would they get in contact with you?
1: Absolutely. Thank you for um, asking. I actually started at my own nonprofit here. I have a um, faith-based recovery residence. It is for men currently, but I'm working on one for women as we speak. Um, it's a discipleship program. Um, we do a lot through that. It's called walking with him six. It's all spelled out except for the number walking with him. And then the number six.com. Okay. There's a website. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. That would be great. Yeah. It's www.walkingwithhim6.com. And then you could always email me at walkingwithhim 6 gmail.com. And again, um, I also have the, I am the executive director for community recovery alliance, where we serve as a resource support for individuals that are afflicted with substance use disorder. That includes alcoholism and addiction. And we serve as a resource support for individuals that are affected by SUDs or mental health issues or um, the effects of incarceration as a result of those issues. And that is uh, we're working on our website now. It's getting updated, um, but it's going to be www.communityrecoveryalliance.com. And then you can always email me and that's A-N-J-A at C-R-A-M-I dot org. Awesome. Yeah. Well,
0: thank you so much, Anya. It's so good to see you and catch yeah, so up with you. so good to see you. I'm
1: so proud of you. <laughs> thank you. So thank proud you. of you. you look awesome. And thank, thank, thank you. you for having me. It was my honor. And yes.
0: Awesome. Really. Well, guys, this is Crystal with Sober Onions. Make sure you check out the show notes and we'll catch you next episode. Thank you for listening to Sober Onions podcast. All episodes, show notes, and resources are available at soberonions.com.